0: be reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 onwards. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honour everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God,
1: We give you great thanks and praise, O God, for you are the great God of mercy. Uh, In your mercy, you have sent your Son to be our Savior. Uh, You have, uh, through His blood, cleansed us from all sin, and you have made us your holy people, belonging to you and given blessing and privilege beyond measure. Uh, Knowing this, Father, we pray that you help us know what does it mean then for us to live in this world as your people? Uh, What does it mean to live under the authorities that we find ourselves under? Uh, whether we should submit or rebel or something in between. So please help us as we think about what life really looks like here on earth uh, as we live as exiled uh, strangers uh, who are your chosen elect people. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now one of the great uh, human desires, and I suppose you would say human rights maybe, is the desire right for freedom. I was going to put up a photo of Braveheart, you know, Mel Gibson, but i got a feeling that that movie is too old for most of the young people here. Certainly for the second service, no one will have any idea who Mel Gibson is or Braveheart. But, you know, freedom, right? He's called before he gets killed. They may take our lives, but they will not take our freedom. Anyway, didn't think that would work, so. Uh, who likes to be tied down, right? Or enslaved, or feeling trapped in something, or by someone? And no one, right? No one likes to not have freedom. We want freedom from all these things and more. But having been freed, uh, what do we want to do with our freedom? Everyone wants freedom, but what do we want to do with our freedoms? Uh, What do we want to be free to do? Now, in our world, freedom is self-determination. So uh, uh, Epictetus, who was uh, one of the philosophers from way back, said, is freedom anything else than the right to live as we wish? Nothing else. That's That's what it means. Or a bit more modern, uh, MyBestSelfCoach.com says there is no greater bliss than feeling free, free to be yourself, free to make your life what you want it to be. Epitectus, 2,000 years ago, or whatever it is, my best self coach, that's a terrible name, I don't know how you say that, my best self coach, uh, says the same thing 2,000 years later. Now In our world, freedom is for me, right? for me to live how I want. But you see, in God's world, as we'll come to see in our passage today, in the next few weeks, freedom is not for self, but for service, right? Freedom is is for us to be able to serve the world for its good. In many different ways, we are to use our freedom to serve for the good of those around us. Now, right from the start of this letter, Peter has been uh, positively gushing, hasn't he, Uh, in reminding and rejoicing in the great freedoms and privileges of being a Christian, Uh, If you remember back to the beginning of the book, he began by praising God for His great mercy that has secured such a great salvation. Uh, By the blood of Jesus, we have been cleansed and set free from sin. Uh, We are no longer spiritually dead and doomed. We have been born again to a living hope. We've been given an imperishable, imperishable, eternal inheritance waiting in heaven for us that is being guarded by God Himself. Right now, because of Jesus, we have been adopted into God's family as His children. We are God's holy, set-apart people. We are God's treasured possession. You know, in, in many ways, it's true that Christians are invincible, aren't we? There's something truly invincible about being a Christian. Uh, this, this freedom, these privileges and status are ones that can never be taken away from those of us who trust in Christ. Never be taken away. Now, this is the foundation that grounds the radical instructions that Peter gives to his readers in this section, right? In our passage this week, it's about living in subjection uh, in this world under uh, worldly rulers, so it's kind of uh, free to live under authorities, part one. And then next week, we'll see that it's about living in subjection at home. And then later on, we'll see even more to, about living in this world as those who have been given these freedoms and privileges as a Christian. But I think Paul's point is very clear, right? As Christians, we are free and we have the responsibility of submitting to worldly authorities and to do good to everyone, even if we suffer for it. Because in Christ, we have been given every resource that we need to submit to and to serve our world. Right. So, getting to the guts of the passage then. Uh, we're looking at freedom and privilege to be subject and to serve. Right. And it's, we'll break it down into two parts. And the first is as citizens. Right? Be subject to every human institution. Now the original audience uh, of Peter's letter lived in the Roman Empire uh, in the um, sort of mid, about, around 61 to 65 AD, around that time, and the emperor was Nero. If you know your history, uh, Caesar of Rome, uh, Emperor Nero, the great persecutor of Christians. He's a sole dictator, dictator and emperor supreme over the whole empire. Right, before any Star Wars movies, the emperor supreme was Nero. Right, Nero appointed local governors, to rule over them, uh, over all the people in the the, the vast empire and all the cities and towns, right? Governors would rule. Uh, They were under, uh, these original readers were under a level of authority and oppression that surpasses what most, if not all of us, will ever experience. And yet here, Peter's instruction to them, right? It says to them in verse 13, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him. You hear that, right? Peter tells the Christians to be subject to them, to acknowledge their authority, to submit to their rule. Uh, If even to such rulers as Nero and his governors, the early Christians were to be subject, I think this is no less true for us, no less true for us. Now, in another part of the Bible, in Romans 13, you can look it up yourself, we are told very clearly that human rule and authority is actually instituted by God, right? It is God's design that we have human rulers. God set up this world to have human rulers. And we're told here in verse 14, right, their, their primary function is law and order, right, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now, one of the, the great rallying cries of the American Revolution was supposedly this, right? We recognize no sovereign but God and no king right, but Jesus. Apparently, this is fake news. Uh, they didn't actually say that, but this is was attributed right, to the American Revolution in the, uh, the 1700s. Um, but it's stirring stuff, isn't it? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Christians saying that, right? There is, we recognize no sovereign but God, no king, but Jesus. Now, in an ultimate sense, it's true, right, that there is only one ultimate sovereign king over our lives, which is Jesus Christ. However, it is simply not true that Christians refuse to recognize God's appointed earthly rulers, right? This is only partially true. Actually, it's not true. We do recognize, as Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 tells us, earthly rulers. And this is very important for us to know. As much as we're exiles and strangers in this world, my thing isn't working anymore. As much as we're exiles and strangers in this world, as much as our true and eternal citizenship is in heaven, we're still very much residents in this world, right? Now, I wonder how many uh, temporary residents we have in this room. should be plenty. Uh, if you're on a visitor visa, don't put your hand up. Right, I don't want to like, call you out or anything. If you're on a student visa, if you're on a working visa, it's like almost, I don't know, two-thirds right, of people here, uh, we are responsible to be subject right, to the laws of this land while we are temporarily visiting this country. And so we are, as Christians, to earthly authorities as well. It is our responsibility as Christian residents to, to, to live in this world, uh, not to do evil, but to do good. Now, Peter presses on, on the necessity of doing good. Is there something wrong with my clicker? All right. Are we good there? Okay, sorry. Uh, We're moving on to point B now. Uh, Peter pressing on, uh, presses us in on the necessity of Christians to be doing good in this world. Follow along with me in verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now, the will of God, I think, is really clear, isn't it, in this verse, is to do good, uh, that we live as those who uh, have the blessed freedom of those who have been saved, who have been given a living hope and looking forward to an internal inheritance, that we live as servants. Now, when the Bible translates servants, it's actually being kind of nice to our ears. The word is actually slaves. Right? When you see the word servants in the New Testament, it almost always means slaves. Um, slaves of God because we belong to God. Right? We serve God by doing good in this world. Now, this passage tells us that there's two big outcomes as we serve God, as we, as we, are, as we, we live as those who belong to God and serve this world. Right? There's two kind of outcomes that comes out of this. Uh, If we were to use our Christian identity as a reason to justify rebellion against earthly authorities, if we were to say, right, only Jesus is my king, and so I don't need to submit to any earthly rule, uh, then the accusation against us would be that we're just rebels, and we're troublemakers, it would be written off as troublemakers. Now, during the uh, height of COVID, uh, some of us still remember that very clearly, I'm sure, Uh, around uh, the governments around the world... Mandated restrictions for gatherings in the interest of public health and safety. Now, now these lockdowns were worldwide and they were for everyone, weren't they? It wasn't just for churches, it was for shops and restaurants, offices, schools, and pretty much anything that's non-essential, they called non-essential. But some churches they chose to defy these orders. There was big, big news around the world. I mean, maybe you've seen these headlines around the world, right? Uh, a pastor refuses to close his church, right? Churches defy COVID-19 orders. I blurt out the face there, it's probably still recognized, well, I'll just move on. Uh, I don't want to be sued for slander, although that really did happen, so it's out in the news, right? Uh, given the extreme situation of being in an unprecedented pandemic, and given the temporary nature of restrictions, and given the alternative that churches had to be able to meet uh, virtually and online, the accusations made against those churches were justified, were they not? They were being rebellious and going against clear government rules. They weren't going against Christians specifically. It was something that everyone had to follow. To be seen as rebels and troublemakers is not the right way of going about things. Now, don't get me wrong. There are certainly times when Christians do stand up for our faith, where putting Jesus as our king before any earthly authority is absolutely the right thing to do. Uh, in those areas in which we would be dishonoring and disobeying God directly, we are to, be able, we are to press against the world and, and, of course, submit to the consequences that come from that. Now, it's tricky. We're trying to hold together two principles at the same time. One is that the Bible clearly teaches us that we should respect and obey authorities that have been placed over us. The other side is that we should obey Christ rather than men if there's a clash between church and state, between what God requires and between what the world requires. But you see, this passage doesn't deal with the times when the state requirements clashes with God's. Now, they might not be very nice people, but they're not exactly. They're not dealing here with when the state is asking you to go against God. In the normal scheme of things, when earthly rulers aren't forcing you to go against God's will, what is our normal, everyday posture towards earthly authorities? What's our normal, everyday posture right, towards earthly authorities? Well, our normal everyday posture, our normal everyday practice should be that we are subject, that we live as good citizens and be doing good. And so we will not be written off simply as rebellious troublemakers who want nothing to do with our world, so that we'll never be accused of being so heavenly-minded that we're of no earthly use. Have you ever heard that phrase before? That we are so heavenly-minded that we are of no earthly use. And so then secondly, if you're keeping count, this is the second point, by using our freedom not to rebel, but to doing good, we're able to do what verse 17 says, right? It says, uh, honor everyone, love the family of God, fear God, and honor the emperor. Now, this is something I learned from Richard, which is scribbling all of the notes. So here we go, right? Can you see the A, B, B, A pattern here, right? So Richard has taught us great things in eight weeks, and then it's scribbling on PowerPoints. So there's a pattern here, there's an A, B, B, A, pattern here. And it's important to notice this pattern because I think the middle two are the foundation for being able to do the outer two, right? As we learn to grow uh, to fear God, we will better be able to honor those in authority over us, like the emperor. As we uh, grow in our love for the brotherhood, for other believers, as we, we, we live out what it means to love, we can also then honor in the way that we treat the world, right? That is, by being increasingly heavenly-minded, B, we become even greater earthly good, the A's there. Now, how so? Now, as we grow in our fear of God, as we come to know more and more of His character and God's ways, as we live thoroughly holy lives for God and live out His characters and ways, we're actually living in a way that truly honors people, right? We value people because God values people. That's a start, isn't it? God made everyone, created an image precious in God's sight, so we, we honor and value everyone. We honor people when we stand for what God stands for, for justice, when we fight against discrimination, when we value the life of the unborn or the malformed or the marginalized. We honor people by striving to show a love that is sacrificial, a kind of love that the world simply doesn't know and and is more robust and deep and genuine than, than the world will ever know. We honor by showing compassion, treating people with grace, striving for reconciliation and forgiveness at great cost, to ourselves by being generous and servant-hearted. Christians know how to honor authorities because we fear and honor God. We honor earthly authorities by recognizing and respecting their authority in our lives to know that it is God who has placed them over our lives. We, We mustn't be like most people in Australia who have a cynical and a disdainful attitude towards anyone in government. Instead, we can speak in honourable ways about our leaders. We can have and show respect to our teachers at school, to our managers and bosses at work, to our leaders in society. We honour them by upholding their authority, by seeking to do the best that we can, to do the best good that we can within the systems and the structures, the rules and regulations that we are under. And when needed, to do good even when the systems make it hard for us to do so. Right? Even when the systems make it hard for us to do so, we still press on in doing good. And that's what this point's about, isn't it? This is our calling, we're told. Our calling, this is the will of God, to be citizens who do good in this world, to be servants of God who do good to our world. Now, so verse 15 17 addresses... Uh, 1317 addresses everyone, right? All Christians as citizens in this world, all people who are under any kind of earthly authority. Now, the next section is a lot more specific, right? It's to to the uh, slaves, right? Or as servants, right? Or like I said, the word servants actually means slaves uh, in 18 to 20. And the instruction to them is the same, right? Be subject to your masters. Now, Peter now addresses Christians who are slaves, uh, and slavery was a thing back in those days, uh, I'm not sure if you've done any kind of research on slavery back in those days, but it was quite different to the slavery that we might know about. Uh, and the, the, movie, the, the slavery we know about maybe comes from, say, the Exodus, right, with the Egyptians really mistreating Israel. Or maybe in the movies, uh, we see people being stolen from their homes and being sold off as slaves and unwillingly, right? people who have been captured from war and chained up and made to do right, really hard labor. Maybe that's the picture of slavery in your mind. And sure, back in those days, there was that kind of slavery. But the kind of slavery that I think Peter is talking to, the, the slaves that he's talking to, are, are regular, kind of everyday slaves. Uh, and it was a common practice in households all over Rome where slavery was a legitimate job opportunity for those who were in poverty or who were in debt. Right? There was a, a, a system that allowed for them to, to, to work uh, as a slave for a household to be able to pay off debts. It was a form of survival, and it was a legitimate choice that people could make. Now, the Bible doesn't endorse slavery, either this kind or the really bad kind, not at all. But the Bible does deal with what is, right, the reality of life. And what is, what was real at that time, was the slave-master relationship. Now, let me say at this point that none of us will ever be in slavery, right, in the way that the original readers were, right? They were under a level of authority and oppression that far surpasses any of us will experience. Right? This is written to people right, in such a way that they were much more under authority and oppression than us. Yet, the instructions is the same. right? Servants, verse 18, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Be subject with all respect. So it's not just about behavior. It's also about your attitude. And not just going through the motions, but with a disengagement and a bitterness in your heart. He's calling these slaves to actually treat their masters as masters and regard them with respect. And Peter makes it really clear that this applies both to the good and the gentle masters, and I'm sure there were those, but also to those who were harsh and who were unjust in the way that they treated them. Now, there are good eggs and there are bad eggs in the world. That's just the way the world is, isn't it? Uh, In among the the Roman Empire, there were many uh, types of masters, and there were good ones and there were bad ones. This is the sinful, broken world that we live in. But still, the instructions to Christian slaves were that they were to be subject to their masters with all respect. And as they are subject to their masters, they are to, same thing, do good. Now, both this section... And the section before, is about being subject and persevering in doing good. But what is different about this section is the instruction to persevere in doing good while suffering unjustly, right? This is the edit bit, right? While suffering unjustly. So have a look, verse 19. For this is a gracious thing, right? A beautiful thing, a commendable thing. When mindful of God, which is when you're thinking of God and fearing God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you, in, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious, this is a beautiful, a commendable thing in the sight of God. Now, Peter makes it clear that it's not about suffering because you've really screwed up and sinned against your master, right? You know, you stole the silverware because, you know, you wanted to sell it off and get rich. Uh, you burned down the barn because you were, like, hating on your master. It's not, not, it's not being punished... That's being punished. And Peter says, well, you kind of deserve it if you do that kind of thing to your master. Peter's talking about suffering unjustly, right? The the Christian slaves back in those days may well have been a very good servant, seeking the best interests of their master, looking after the affairs of the home, looking after the plants and the animals and the fields, you know, really well, but still find themselves getting beaten and being treated harshly because some masters are just like that. Peter commends believers who continue to seek to do good even while suffering unjustly. He commends believers who who endure through the sorrows and who don't allow those sorrows to stop them from doing good to their masters and the households that they live in. The the injustice is disgusting to God. He hates injustice of all kinds. But the Christian response of fearing God, enduring suffering, and persevering in doing good is beautiful in God's eyes, right? The injustice itself is disgusting in God's eyes, but the, the attitude of, of pressing on through suffering and still pressing on and doing good is beautiful, is commendable in God's eyes. Sure, this would have been a, a, a very, very hard thing for them to do. Can you imagine being in that position to do that? to be subject with all respect to cruel superiors, to persevere in doing good while suffering the deep pain of injustice. Which of us can really do this? Now, before we reflect on this a little bit more, as I get you to imagine the, the situations you find yourself in, in which you might have to do this, I want us to keep pressing on to the next part of the passage as we look to the example of Christ in the last four verses of this passage. Peter gives the reason why believers are to respond to injustice in this way. Follow with me as I read from verse 21 to 25. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But continued trusting himself to him who judges justly. I'll pause there for a second and I'll read the other two verses a bit later on. Now, we see here that persevering in doing good while suffering unjustly is no less than what King Jesus did himself, right? What Jesus Christ did himself. He is the example we are told that we are to follow. Now, in this passage, we see that Christ was perfectly good and righteous, right? No sin, no lies, yet. He suffered. Now, what happened to Jesus shows us that good and righteous people suffer. Uh, uh, You know, being a Christian and being good and righteous doesn't guarantee you, right, from from avoiding and uh, suffering that you'll be blessed just because you're always righteous. No, right? The reality is that in this broken and sinful world, righteous and good people suffer. We mustn't ever be surprised that seeking to do the right thing uh, will always result in a good response from people. Oftentimes, sometimes it doesn't happen. Now, Christ was reviled, insulted. He was hated on. And we, he never re- retaliated, right? He never retaliated. He didn't threaten. Uh, and sure, he could have threatened. And he would have been uh, pretty powerful to squash right, any enemy and oppressor that came by his way. But he didn't. He didn't retaliate and he didn't threaten. Instead, he left it up to God. He entrusted that God would bring about judgment one day, that justice on that last day of judgment will be served. So he trusted it to God. And so Jesus pressed on through unjust suffering. And by doing that, he brought about all right, the ultimate good. Have a look at verse 24, right? the result of, Je- of Jesus right, continuing to press on to do good while suffering. Verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And during unjust suffering, Jesus went all the way to the cross. And there on the cross, he bore our sins, that we might be set free. Through Jesus' death, we too died to sin and live to righteousness. We have been given spiritual healing and brought back to belong to God again, right? Christ is the ultimate example, an expression of enduring unjust suffering and persevering in doing good. And look at the good that He did in doing so. Now, this is the example that Christ set for us to follow. This is the example that Christ set for us to follow. Now, what might this look like for us? And this is where I hope the, the rubber will hit the road as we try to imagine our lives and when is it that we are under authority and that we might want to press on in doing good as we experience and endure unjust suffering. Now, while we are like slaves who are subject to masters, it's still applicable, is it, that in many aspects of life we are under authority. There is not a single one of us here who is not under some kind of authority, whether in the home, in school, at work, or as citizens, or as temporary residents in this country. Uh, We all have parents at home, or teachers at school, managers, bosses at work, and so on. And so it's very important for us to consider how we respond right, when those people in authority over us don't treat us well. Now, unjust suffering could be because of our faith. So in, 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 in uh, the, the, the audience of Peter's letter here, the unjust suffering often res- was because of their Christian faith. Right? Emperor Nero, the dictator, was anti-Christian. Right? The Roman Empire did not tolerate Christianity. And so as a Christian, they would have suffered un- unjustly. But we also know that there are just cruel and mean people out there, and so some people are just mean just because they are mean, not necessarily because you are a Christian. Now the great challenge for us is to seek to return evil for, uh, sorry, return good for evil. Whatever evil comes at us, right, the call is for us to respond with good. And so perhaps it might look like this: if you suffer at home. Maybe you have an anti Christian family or housemates who are antagonistic to your faith, then the response is not to withdraw or not to retaliate and fight back and argue with them all the time. Instead, the call is for us to show real and sacrificial love and service, have a real care and concern for them, show them grace and kindness and forgiveness that is sort of next level, right? That is gospel level kind of grace kindness and forgiveness. Right? Do your chores, right? heartily and showing generosity. Right? People might, might, might be mean to you but returning kindness, return good for evil. Now, if you suffer at school, you get mocked for being a Christian or you get hated on for having Christian values. Right? Mocked for not being willing to join them as they bully other people or they cheat when you don't join in on the gossip around the water cooler or at the refect or when they slander other students and teachers and you don't join in and you might even say something to stop that kind of behavior. You, you get mocked for being a goody two-shoes. Do they still use that phrase anymore? Goody two-shoes. Um, don't respond by withdrawing from them. Right? By, by standing in judgment over them and, like, you know, thumb your nose up and then you walk away. Don't retaliate and fight back and argue. Instead, keep on living out a a genuine faith. Profess your faith. Uh, Keep finding reasons to be able to share with them why they need Jesus in their brokenness. Keep doing good. Be a friend to the marginalized. Don't just not join in with the bullies, but be a friend to the marginalized and be a friend to the bullies. I often say this to my girls at school. Uh, There's this group called the Eshays, right? You all know about the Eshays? What did we call them when we were young? They were the Bogans. The whatever, the names change over the years, the same. Uh, I, say, I, say, I always say to the girls, even though you are the goody two-shoes, and they kind of are the goody two-shoes, the good Asian girls, right? I say to them, still try and find a way to connect with the ashes. Not when they're in a big group, doing their big group nonsense, but ashays on their own are just normal human beings as well, and, and they let their guard down, and you can find a way to love them, and get to know them, and, and care for them. Have a real concern and care for them. Speak well always of others right? in your speech. Be full of grace, seasoned with salt, we're told. Speak respectfully about those in authority. Uh, not just to those in authority, but about the authority. Right, when the, election, when the, the next elections come by, or when there's something happening in the office, or at work, or at school, be careful about how you speak about your superiors in the workplace, about the superiors, the authorities in our society. If you're a student, you know, be generous in sharing your notes. Uh, don't worry about trying to beat everyone else. Uh, Be generous, show care and respect for people and their property. It's very simple, doing good. It shines for Jesus, and it gives you opportunities to share Christ. Return good for evil. Now, I could go through and talk about all different scenarios in our lives that we find ourselves in, Uh, in society, maybe when you play in a team, or you're part of some, uh, some cycling club, or whatever it is, there, there's so many times when we interact with people in the world, especially with those that are under authority. Endure whatever suffering that comes your way as a Christian, right, who seeks to do good. Uh, put up with whatever mockery and whatever mistreatment. The question I'll leave you with, this, with is this How will you use the freedoms and the privileges that you've been given as a Christian? Will you, as Peter says, live as those who are free? to be subject to serve and do good. Now, how will you be submissive to the, the authorities in your life? How will you do good? That's something to think about, isn't it? And what happens when you're mistreated and you suffer unjustly? Will you still press on? Let me pray. Precious God, and Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for the immense freedom that you have uh, won for us in Christ. That by his blood we have been set free from sin and death. We have been set free from slavery to our old way of life. And we've been set free to, to be servants, slaves of the living God, being your treasured possession, set apart as holy, adopted in as your children. Uh, given the task of um, proclaiming your excellencies. Uh, in this world, given the task of being light and salt to the world, that shines a light that shows Jesus. And so with this in mind, we pray that you'll help us to use our freedom and privileges in a way that serves the world, that while we have been rescued from the, from the world, we, you have still placed us here but to be temporary residents who are to do good, to submit to those in authority over us and to do good even as we suffer unjustly for it whether the suffering comes because we proclaim Christ and we bear his name, or whether we suffer just because the world is a cruel place uh, which mistreats people, we pray for your grace to be able to help us to respond against evil with good, that we will respond against injustice by being servants, by having genuine love, showing genuine care and concern to those around us. And in doing so, we pray that we might have an opportunity to show Christ, that we might have an opportunity to bring blessing to this broken world. For this we pray in Jesus' name.